0: Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai, or Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai or Ai, and its king as you did to Jericho, and its king, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose and and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us as the first that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say... They're fleeing before us as, as, as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be that when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua, therefore, sent them out. And they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai. On the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and they camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ae on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went in that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people. At an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him. Behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them. And fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai. Or Bethel, who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended into heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai then, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out his, the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned A.E. and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of A.E. hanged on a tree until evening, and as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as he who was born among them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerazim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. You thought that was a long chapter. Can you imagine now being forced to listen to me read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? You should be thinking, wow, we're in good shape. Now, remember what we've learned. The book of Joshua chronicles... The children of Israel's crossing of the Jordan in chapters 1 through 5. Conquering their enemies, chapters 6 through 12. Claiming the inheritance, chapters 13 through 24. No wonder it's been called God's book for victorious living. But sometimes the Christian experience is setbacks, defeats, failures, difficulties. We overcome, and then sometimes we're overcome. We walk carefully, and then sometimes we slip catastrophically. Sometimes we hit the target. Sometimes we miss the target. We find victory in Jesus, and then we disappoint Jesus. We return to his love and his care, We know that his presence and power is available to us. So now, again, the context. Remember, Israel has experienced a great victory at Jericho, a resounding defeat at Ai, in the land the children would have to listen and obey and march and fight battles, not absent the Lord, but with God's instruction. And remember what I've constantly reminded you of of this book. Just like the children of Israel are called to occupy the land. And you remember there are people living there who don't want to leave. It becomes a type and a picture of your life in Christ. As Jesus begins to occupy you. And there are things in your life that don't want to leave. That want to remain and be a part of your life. And dominate your life and manipulate your life. And make your life miserable. But you're called Christian. You're called to live a life of obedience and abundance. So the Lord's going to give Joshua a new plan to defeat A.E. in verses 1 and 2. The Lord's going to instruct Joshua to set an ambush by placing troops behind the city. And then he's going to exercise a series of brilliant tactics that Joshua will execute in order to capture the city in verses 3 through 29. That includes setting the ambush in verses 3 through 9 and again in verse 12. Then staging the attack in verses 10 and 11 and 13 and 14. And then feigning, pretending to retreat in verses 15 through 17. And then signaling the men for the ambush in verses 18 through 20. And then capturing the city in verses 21 through 29. And so the Lord will even use their failure as an advantage in the present battle plan against their enemy. And this is going to become an important point in your life as well, especially if you've ever experienced a time in your life that could only be described as disappointing. That God wants to use that for your good and for his glory. And so, in the first two verses, I want to show you something. In order to take advantage, the people of Ai are confident that they could defeat Israel again. And again, God is going to use this for the children of Israel's advantage. So again, look at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to Ai. So I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and the land. Now, again, right off the bat, you should be able to note the reason why the Lord can say to Joshua, I don't want you to be afraid. And I don't want you to be dismayed. Is because God's favor has returned. Why has God's favor returned? Returned and been restored because they've identified sin and they've forsaken sin and they've purposed in their heart to obey the Lord. And the same is true in your battle with failure or, or with difficulty or with defeat. It's when you do what the New Testament says, you confess your sin, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So there's a identification of the problem and then a willingness to deal with the problem and then judge the problem. So God doesn't forsake his people. And by the way, these are the exact same words that Moses spoke to the spies at Kadesh Barnea when he sent them into the land for the very first time. These are also the exact same words that Moses gave to Joshua when he's entrusting the leadership, the guidance, and the direction of the children of Israel into his hands. And again, it's the same words that we've already read about in our study in the book of Joshua in chapter 1, verse 9, where the Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Again, the Lord was ready to lead. If Joshua was ready to listen, Israel suffered a devastating loss. And remember, for at least two reasons, Achan or Achan's sin and then also underestimating the enemy remember those were the two big problems they they exercised sin and disobedience and they underestimated the enemy and sometimes that's exactly what we do we hold on to our sin and we underestimate the power of the world and the flesh and the devil And so in verse 2 it says, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now I, I want you to note just a couple of quick things. The Lord wanted to turn Ai from the place of defeat to the place of victory. You should Know that and think long and hard about it. Because the same is true in our lives when we experience setbacks. The Lord wants to take the place of difficulty, disappointment, even failure. And put it and make it a place of victory. Unlike Jericho, you probably already got this. The Lord now gives permission to take the spoil and the cattle for the people. And you should be asking yourself that question. Well, why why was it forbidden at Jericho, but now it's allowed at Ai. Did you wonder about that? I'm going to answer it two ways. The first way is to remind you that God's prohibitions aren't always the same. The, the Lord reserves the right To do things according to his his own plans and purposes. What he has prohibited at one particular point in your life, he may allow at another point in your life. And what he has allowed, he may prohibit at another particular point in your life. But I want to point something else out to you. Do you remember Achan's sin? He saw a wedge of gold and some silver and a Babylonian garment. Now again, I want you to think about this. If he had just waited a few more days, there's going to be another city, and there's going to be another destruction, and there's going to be an opportunity for him to haul away more loot than he can spend in a lifetime. Now, again, I want you to think about this. What God may prohibit at one particular time in your life He may allow at another point in your life. Remember what part of the point of the sin is. It's to desire what was forbidden. And then now all of a sudden God says, I'm going to do things differently. Now remember Jericho was defeated by supernatural means. A would be defeated the old fashioned way. Through hard work. By real battle. And so, number one, the Lord encourages them. Number two, he explains to them that one of the ways to receive victory is by doing exactly what the Lord commands. And that's what this big section between verses 3 and 13 is all about. So it says in verse 3, So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Now the plan is simple. Send these troops to Bethel by night, place another 5,000 troops between Bethel and A.E. in verse 12. And then, but one of the things that I think has good merit, as I've done study in this section, some have suggested that the word thousand here may be rendered chief or officer. And it may mean that there weren't 30,000 troops because, again, it's hard to hide 30,000 troops and their movement in order to have an ambush. Some have suggested that the word is chief or officers, which would mean that that 30,000 number isn't 30,000 people, but 30 Israeli commandos who are going to have to hide in a particular place and make themselves small, They are literally going to carry out an Israeli commando raid. And that makes way more sense to me. That there are substantial amounts of people. But I'm going to, I suspect that that's probably the case. Now remember, for those of you who are wondering, well I thought the Bible um, was accurate in every single way. It is accurate. So far as it's been correctly translated and there are words and that are sometimes there's interpositions and and numbers that that sometimes don't add up is it 30,000 troops or is it 30 troops I personally probably think that the better translation is 30 chiefs or officers at this particular moment so again the Lord's going to use conventional war to subdue the enemy We Christians shouldn't be alarmed or amazed if God delivers the enemy through supernatural means or through conventional means or through conventional medicine or through conventional discipline. Jericho is taken one way. A.E. is going to be taken another way the challenges and the difficulties and the enemies and the obstacles that you face might be taken one way or the other. You could have maybe been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and you lived a life of chronic addiction or chronic drunkenness or chronic whatever else it was and God, by the power of his Holy Spirit for reasons unbeknownst for the rest of us who struggle with all kinds of addictions, God supernaturally delivered you. And for some of you, you lived a life of brokenness and difficulty and God did supernaturally deliver a number of different aspects of your life but then there are other aspects of the, of your life that is, are, are proving difficult that require hard work and you're wondering well why would god deliver me from this but he allows this to hang on to my life well again god works in different ways under different circumstances And in verse 4, it says, and he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Now, again, think about this. If you're having 30,000 troops stationed near the city and not far from the city, would it be difficult to hide 30,000 people? Yeah, I'm going to suggest to you that that's probably the case. And it says... In verse 5, then I and the people who are with me will approach the city and will come about when they come out against us at the first that we shall flee before them. You get the picture. Um, There are three contingents, and we're going to talk about the contingents in just a moment. In verse 6, it says, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, they're fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. In other words, Joshua is using their overconfidence in the previous victory as a tool. In verse 7, it says, Then you shall rise from the ambush, seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you will set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. In other words, they're going to burn it. They're going to erase any... Evidence of it. In verse 9 it says, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and A'i on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, mustered the people, and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of it. Now, there was a valley that lay between them and Ai, so he took about 5,000 men, set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city, and when they had set the people... All the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now, again, in verse 14, 15, and 16, there is a description of three distinct groups of soldiers. Now, again, I suspect that there's 30 brave commando soldiers hidden behind the city. Second, there's the main army with Joshua that has come up the 15 miles from Gilgal early in the morning, and then they camp in plain view on the north side of the city, led by Joshua. And again, they're going to serve as the diversionary group to lure the armies of A.E. out of the city. The third group were to serve as the ambush unit, 5,000 men, positioned between a and Bethel we're going to cut off the reinforcements from both directions so that no one would be delivered. The plan basically worked perfectly. In verse 15, it says, "In Joshua and all the Israel made as if they were beaten before them. They fled by way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. You get the picture. The city is left defenseless. The commandos come in, capture it. They divide the army. Remember Joshua's Strategy to divide the country so that they can occupy it. And and so they're going to receive victory by engaging the enemy. In verse 17, it says, There was not a man left in Ae or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards Ae, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. This means that the commandos had to have been close enough to see it, it was the signal that signals that now the commando raid is going to begin because the strategy is working. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. Think about it. The city's burning. One part of the army is in back of them. Another part of the army is in front of them. They have nowhere to go they have no place to hide and it says in verse 23 but the king of ae they took alive and brought him to joshua and it came to pass when israel made an end of slaying all the inhabitants in the field in verse 24 that in the wilderness where they pursued them and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed but the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword and so it was that the men that fell that day both men and women were 12,000 all the people of Ae for Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ae. Now again, The signal is given, and like Moses, when Joshua fought against Amalek, you'll remember in the story in Exodus chapter 17 how Moses' arms are raised, and he has one person on one side and then another person on the other side. And for those of you who have been following along in our study in 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 the book of Joshua, you'll remember that I've told you repeatedly That Joshua was Moses' servant before he was Moses' successor, and that Joshua learned early on that victory comes not simply by the sword, but by prayer in the Lord. Now, think about what's happening, which is different from what happened to the earlier defeat. There is guidance by the Lord, there is leadership by the Lord, there's strategy given by the Lord. And the destruction, like I said, is so complete that archaeologists to this very day debate about the location of this particular city. And like I said in verse 27, only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded them. And remember what I said to you earlier. If Achan would have just waited, there was going to be plenty of reward. There was going to be Unbelievable opportunities. And it says, so Joshua burned A.E. and made it a heap forever. A desolation to this day. What is the meaning? Remember, we've already talked about that God wanted to bring a picture of dramatically, fundamentally dealing with the problem of sin And it says, in the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that he should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, raise over it a heap of stones that remains to this day. In other words, there is this picture that that which controlled that place, those people, and Israel would be dealt with. You know the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus will un- ultimately deal with the enemies. In the Old Testament there's a picture of the Lord saying to the to Jesus, "Put establish your throne here until I make your enemies my footstool." In the New Testament it speaks of Jesus having overcome the devil. Many of you realize and I've said this repeatedly, just like we have three great enemies, The world, the flesh, the devil. We have three great champions. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The testimony given in the New Testament is the Father has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome Satan. The Holy Spirit lives inside of the believer to subdue the flesh. And so... God gives resources. The people of Israel restored to favor because they've identified sin, judged sin, and forsaken sin are given a great victory. And so that's the idea. God is a God of second chances. God is ready to forgive and to restore. And then in verses 30 through 35, look what it says. You receive victory by renewing your commitment and covenant. After conquering Jericho and A.E., Joshua carries out Moses' parting instructions. Now, what's happening in the text, there's a break in the action. And I debated on whether or not I was going to teach this first part first, and then this second part as an individual study in and of itself. But let me just give you an overview. After, again, conquering Jericho and A. I. Joshua is going to fulfill Deuteronomy chapter twenty-seven verses four and six. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, if you go back to um, the books of Moses, in, in, in um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if you turn to just uh, to Deuteronomy real quick, chapter twenty-seven, I'm just going to read. The passage, real quick, I thought I had marked it, but I didn't. In verses four through six, it says, therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that's exactly what they've just done, that on Mount Ebal, you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, you shall not use an iron tool on them. In other words, nothing man-made. These all have to be made from stuff that God made. There there, there can't be any human participation. It says in verse 5, there you shall build an altar to the Lord with an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt um, offerings on it to the Lord. So Joshua remembers this. He is going to travel with the army the 30 miles to Shechem. Now, I, I didn't ask James and the other guys to, to put up a graphic, but I wish I had a map so that I could show you the geography of the area. But if you go to Shechem, there's a valley. In the valley between Ebal and Gedatsim, there is this like cup, an indentation in the land. And it forms a sort of natural amphitheater where you can stick a lot of people. And it has amazing acoustics. Now, I have been to some of the natural amphitheater formations in the land. And I'm using a, a microphone right now, but I'm going to step away from it. And I know this really bugs the people who are, are, are doing the video and the audio. But when I step away from the microphone, and I use my Billy Graham voice, and I project out into the audience, if you have a natural indentation, the sound will go from from mountaintop to mountaintop. Now, in the book of Joshua, if you have a map, that's where they go. Now, once again, The the reason why I'm bringing this out to you is because that might seem premature and foolish. Now, remember what's happening. They've just conquered Jericho. They've just conquered Ai or Ai. And you might be thinking, look, we're on a roll. We could conquer the surrounding areas right now. But Israel is going to embark on a spiritual pilgrimage, a retreat of sorts. In obedience to what has already been said. Joshua, remember, he says, read the Bible. Read it. Read it and think about it. Meditate on it. Reflect on it. Ask and answer yourself the question. What is this Bible asking me to do? Joshua is reading his Bible. Now, again, this is going to become an important part of your victorious Christian living. If you want to be right with God, read your Bible. Read it and then do it. Now again, scholars wondered what happened at Shechem. It was a fortified city. How is it possible that the surrounding people allowed Joshua to do this? Did they give up without a fight? Um, Was there some resistance oddly enough, the Bible is silent on this subject. But Joshua, when he goes to this place in obedience to Moses, in order to fulfill the vows and the covenants to the Lord God Almighty, he does what has been asked to do. And it, again, it's going to involve three significant ceremonies. He builds an altar of stones on Mount Ebal. This is a place where the sacrifices are offered. He erects stone pillars, whitewashes them, and then writes copies of the law on them. And then he reads the law to the people. He begins in Genesis and goes to Exodus and then Leviticus and then Numbers and then Deuteronomy. In verse 30 it says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel on Mount Ebal. Now again... Mount Ebal has been called the Mount of Curses or the Place of Curses. So Joshua is going to place the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, Naphtali on one side of the valley. He will build an altar to the Lord God of Israel on the Mount of Curses. Why is that? I know, strange noises coming from the back. It's because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You know, one of the most frequently asked questions I get asked is, how were people saved in the Old Testament? My answer? People in the Old Testament were saved exactly the same way as in the New Testament. They are saved by blood. They are saved by a person. They are saved By grace. The Bible says in the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so we see in the building of an altar, this picture of sacrifice and blood. Now, now, again, why is the sacrifice of blood given before the reading of the law? I'm going to suggest to you, it's because the reading of the law is going to awaken the sense of sin. Sin. And rebellion and disobedience. There's a reason why we need a savior. It's because we're sinners. Now remember, salvation is always by blood. In Hebrews 9:22, it says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there's no remission. The blood must be innocent and shed and applied. And then salvation is always through a person. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord, it says in Jonah 2.9. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven, whereby men must be saved, Acts 4.12. For God hasn't appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. There is in this tiny little text tucked into this whole picture of victorious Christian living a little image of salvation and renewal. And again, when the curses were read out loud, one by one, the tribes on Mount Ebal would say, amen. Now again, imagine a group of people on one side of the valley reading the curses, and the other side in the valley reading the blessings. So in this gigantic retreat... The people of Israel are renewing their covenant. They're renewing the vow. They're once again listening to the terms of what it means to have a right relationship with God. And hence we can say, do you want to get right with God? Do you, is there something wrong in your life? Has something gone terribly wrong in your life? Open your Bible. Read what it says about your circumstances. And then begin to claim the promises that God has given to you. Again, think about it. On one side, if you'll do this, this is what God will do. Everybody shouts, amen. On the other side, if you neglect or fail to do this, this is going to be the consequences And everybody shouted, Amen. And in verse 31, it says, As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Why? A type. A picture. Again of the sacrifice of Jesus. In a burnt offering, everything was burned except the skin on the outside. It pictured a total surrender to God as well as a substitutionary offering on the part of the person. Remember what I've said. Always blood. Always an innocent person. Always grace. Verse 32 And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law which Moses had written. Remember, Moses said, Do it when you get there. And then they did it. Why do they write it on stone? I'm going to suggest to you to have a permanent access to what God wanted. I don't know about you, but I, I could never have just one Bible. I know that it seems unfair when most of the Christians in the world don't even have one Bible. But I want a Bible in the kitchen. I want a Bible next to my bed. I want a Bible in my study. I want a Bible in my study at church. I wanted a Bible in my radio room. I want a Bible when I go to the open door cafe. I want to have access to a Bible wherever I go. And when it was written on stone, there was a permanent record. Of what had been written. In verse 33 it says. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges. Stood on either side of the ark before the priests. The Levites who bore the ark of the covenant. Remember what that is. That signifies the presence of God in the midst of his people. To who? The stranger. As well as he who is born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them that they should bless the people of Israel. And again, Mount Gerizim, the place of blessing. And like I said, Joshua places Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings, the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Moses did not read before the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, the strangers who were living among them. Now I want you to think about this. Everyone gets it. Why? Because everyone is accountable for it and responsible to it. So now think about what's happening. The people affirm the law of the Lord is the law of their land. The law of the Lord is the law of their land. Francis Schaefer wrote, quote, God was giving the people a huge object lesson. What happened to them in the land was going to depend, as it were, on whether they were living on Mount Gerizim Or Mount Ebal. The people were to hear from Mount Gerizim. The blessings that would come to them. If they kept God's law. And from Mount Ebal. The curses. If they failed to keep the law. And so it was. This is Gino now. So it was. The people's response to the word of God. Was what determined their future. Remember what I said earlier. If you want to get right with God, open your Bible. Read it. See what it has to say. In what sense? Because the way you respond to the Bible will determine your future. It will mark the road that will direct your path. Obedience... Brings blessing. Disobedience. Judgment. And you would think. That our nation would have learned this lesson. Don't you? You know there was a time. When much of this nation's laws. And justice was predicated. On some sense. Of virtue. Some sense of truth. Some sense of dignity, of the reality that there are things that are fundamentally right and things that are fundamentally wrong. Clearly, the law of the land is not the law of our land. Our country has no desire to enter into a covenant with the Lord. Our country has no desire. To open its Bible, be judged by its Bible, evaluated by the Bible. Rather, it's making a conscientious effort to get rid of the Bible in the schools, in the governmental system, erasing any evidence of the Bible in the public domain. And so guess what? The church is the last stand. But even in the church, there are people who complain, who bitterly complain. Have you ever heard someone say, I wanted so badly to go to a church and they wouldn't even open their Bible. They wouldn't read their Bible. They wouldn't study the Bible. We're having a change of presidency in just a few days. Woodrow Wilson, in his last public address... The last thing that he said to the United States of America before he left office was, quote, The sum of the whole matter is this that our civilization cannot survive materially unless it is redeemed spiritually. Unquote. Isn't that interesting? That a president back then understood that there needed to be some sense of moral grounding. The people's victory and possession of the land would depend on their obedience to the Lord and their obedience to his word. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. At this point, it was more important for the nation. To hear God's word than to fight one more battle. They're still going to have to possess the land. But they take this time out. Joshua takes this time out and says, I want you to be aware. I want you to understand what it is that God wants from you and for you. You know, it doesn't make much sense for you to want to experience victorious Christian living if you don't even know what it means to be a Christian. And so at our church, I'll continue to open up the Bible, I'll continue to read the Bible, I'll continue to teach the Bible. Over and over and over again, we see Joshua bringing the people back to the word of God. He did it in chapter 1, verse 8. He'll do it again in chapter 24, verse 26. You know, the place where you've experienced miserable failure, again, might be the place where God wants you to experience a mighty victory. Victory begins when you're encouraged by the Lord. Remember? The Lord says, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be discouraged. Why could God say that? Because sin has been judged. It's been identified and judged and forsaken. The steps of a good man, it says in the Bible, are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his right hand, it says in Psalm 37, 23. So remember the chapter. Be encouraged, verse 1. Believe God's instructions, verses 1 and 2. Be obedient. Do exactly what he asks you to do in verses 3 through 13. Fight the good fight against the enemies of your soul, verses 14 through 29. And then renew, rededicate, restore your commitments and covenants with the Lord and say, Lord, you and I had a deal. We made a promise to each other. This is why I can't even begin to tell you how important it is for you to open your Bible. Not just simply on Wednesday nights. Not just simply on Sunday mornings. Just a couple of quick things before we close. Remember what we've learned thus far. As long as sin lasts, conflict is going to be necessary. In the battle, in our conflict, the alternatives are always victory or defeat. In the fight, we have a captain. Our captain is the Lord of hosts. It's Jesus. If we follow Jesus in obedience and courage, then we can say like the people in the book, we're more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus our Lord. In the battle, there's no such thing as a little evil, a little sin. Sin has to be dealt with dramatically, fundamentally. It has to be dealt with. And again, in this battle, if we suffer setback or defeat, we can discover through prayer and confession and forsaking of our sin And reading God's word on how to get back on track. And remember in the battle, the work of conquest and subjugation of our enemies, it may not be sudden. You may not just have an overwhelming victory. The battle that you're engaged in might take time. And determination. And discipline. You may not have a sudden success. You may have a gradual success. And we've learned that divine help and human effort aren't always mutually exclusive. Is God there to help you? Yes. Does God help those who help themselves? some sometimes... This is not to be taken to mean that you contribute to your own salvation or that somehow you make it possible for you to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that on this journey that's called the Christian life, sometimes you're going to have to open your eyes and sometimes close them. Sometimes you're going to have to open your mouth and sometimes shut it Sometimes you're going to have to open your heart and sometimes close it. You're going to have to open your heart to Jesus and you're going to have to close your heart to sin. And now, next week, I'm going to give you the last half of Joshua, and we begin chapter 9. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit the time to you. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray, we pray that the lessons learned and gleaned, that you would find a place that we can keep them inside of our hearts so that we can honor you and love you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand.